Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. It's Culture Club, it's Culture Club, it's Culture Club. Hi everybody, how are we? Um, Speaking of culture actually, I've just seen amazing news. Jake Shears is taking over as MC in Cabaret, which is on at the Kit Kat Club in London. And Rebecca Taylor, aka Self Esteem, is taking over as Sally Bowles. Isn't that cool? What a double act. What a queer fantasy that is. Go check it out if you haven't. I loved that show. It contains wit, charm, anarchy, and it makes you think about really important stuff. It's wonderful. And the Kit Kat Club in London, if you're able to get there, um, the way they do it is amazing. Today, we are talking to BBC Morning Live host and internationally famous gay vet, James Greenwood, all about his book, For the Love of Animals. Now, he's on BBC Morning Live every day. He takes his dog on BBC Morning Live every day with Geth and Jones. They've become this lovely TV family. And if you are an LGBTQ plus pet owner or wannabe, this is a brilliant chat for you because we talk about really kind of the link between pet ownership and queerness in a way. And it's also just a really honest story of growing up gay in rural England and what that's like and you know actually it's really interesting because his dog ownership is sort of what helped him overcome his gay shame and we talk a lot about the mental health struggles associated with veterinary work and a bit of myth busting around vet surgeries and those costs which vets get a lot of flack for so it's a lovely chat with a wonderful man so that's coming up in a moment but first, have you caught up with last week's episode? We chatted to Jacob Lusk from Gabriel's, Elton John's new favourite band, supported Harry Styles on, on tour. Get that album if you can. It's so good. Who um, talked all about growing up LGBTQ plus in Compton, being a black LGBTQ plus contestant on American Idol. He got down to like the final five, I think. And the birth of his band Gabriel's. Such a lovely chat. He made me howl with laughter for the entire time. Now, on Tuesday, we were talking to TRUKFC, the all-trans male football team, about how we can make the game of football more LGBTQ plus inclusive. So let us know your thoughts on that. Do you play football? If you do, write in. Keep emailing us, hello at homosapienspodcast.com or on Instagram at homosapiens. Tell you what you thought of the episode or send any holiday season anonymous agony uncles people to be answered. And you can get in touch on our Instagram at homosapiens. In the meantime, let's go and chat. Let's have a bubble bath of a, a lovely... I always say this podcast is a warm bubble bath. 
it really is. Let's kind of have a lovely warm bubble bath of a chat with James Greenwood. Trigger warning, there are mentions of things like suicide in this conversation. Um, resources are in the show notes for not only vet specific stuff, but also LGBTQ plus specific stuff um, in and around the areas we cover. If you are ever experiencing anything in that direction please know you can get help please know that the resources in the episode description are wonderful and a great place to start james greenwood hi dr (laughs) james greenwood and you're joined by someone today almost perfect timing this is my little oliver our little boy who's born in may and he's, uh, yeah, he's so, he's great. He's very tired, though, I think. Our first standing up podcast. <laughs> and I'm excited about it myself. Um, James Greenwood, right. you're, you're with us for many reasons, but because you've written this amazing book for the love of animals. Um, yeah, thank you. One of the things that you say in the book is that Oliver, your dog, was actually a huge part of you coming to accept your own queerness gayness yeah would that be right and and why it is definitely i think it's i I mean i wrote the book wanting to kind of slightly tap into our kind of like our emotional connection really with with animals generally you know with with i think everybody can feel that and if you're an animal lover if you have your own pets even if you don't but i think there's something just really that fascinates me about that bond that we have with animals like human animal bond that they talk about and I think, you know, for me, I've always, of course, I've always loved animals. I've always grown up with animals. But when we got Oliver, who's me and my husband Mark's first dog, and we got him, I mean, we 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 sort of met, we moved in ridiculously close, quick together. And then within a matter of months, we got a dog, which I probably wow. would say, I know, which all sounds very romantic, doesn't it? But at the same time, I'm kind of like, was that the most responsible thing to do? I'm not completely sure. But it- <laughs> It's fine. Uh, so yeah, so we got Oliver very early on, and he kind of has has sort of just been this presence that has marked so many huge milestones. And when me and Mark first did get together, I was in a quite strange place with my sexuality and coming to terms with myself and carrying that huge kind of big ball of gay shame that I think a lot of people maybe of our age group, of our generation talk about. And you know, and I, and I and it really did. It followed me around, and I struggled and struggled and struggled. And I mean, obviously, Mark was a huge influence and a huge Mark help being with, your husband with that, and and you know, Mark being my my now husband, yeah. But at the same time, I think just the day to day, you know, having Oliver and having a dog and having having a dog as two guys and our dog, it it did break ice. It does break boundaries, and it does. You know, people talk about dogs are a great conversation starter, which which they are, of course they are, and that's and that's no different if you're walking around on your own or if you're walking around as two guys or what have you. And you know, there was there was a moment I can really distinctly remember where we were sitting together in a in a in a cafe, and it sounds so trivial to talk about it now, but basically there's a presumed husband and wife. I don't know, maybe they weren't, but they had a little a little kid with them, and he kind of came around and started talking to Oliver, tried to open his one eye. So Oliver's only got one eye, or yeah, don't know right. So the little boy started trying to open Oliver's closed eye, uh, thinking that he would try to help him. And of course, that then triggered a bit of conversation and what have you. And it was <laughs> conversation being can you please not do that to my dog? Because I can't <laughs> I can't completely guarantee that he will like you do that. But it starts the conversation, then it breaks the ice, and then suddenly you leave that cafe thinking, we've just had a really normal interaction there. And and I think if Oliver wasn't there, we probably wouldn't have had that interaction. I would have gone out thinking, you know, oh my God, we're here, there's two guys, can't hold his hand, don't show public affection, all that sort of stuff. 
But I don't know, there was something about having Oliver in our life that did just help me cross that bridge a little bit and just be like, we are here and this is this is our family unit and we are very proud of that. And, you know, over the 13 years that he was with us, those interactions just grew stronger and stronger and those little milestone moments. And I I do, I owe I owe everything to that to that dog really in, in so many ways. Massive part of my life. And do you think that there's something in the idea, and I'm not saying this is right, by the way, but there's a little bit of like the idea that having a dog makes you seem more permanent as a couple and a bit more like classic this is what couples do therefore i i'm safe and i'm sort of roughly like what you know i know exactly what you're saying and i, and I hear and i hear that and i and i don't necessarily completely disagree but i think the great thing about animals and maybe dogs specifically is they are great levelers. Again, one thing that I've, one thing that through being, you know, a vet for the last sort of 15 years has taught me is that no matter what you expect of people that choose to live their lives with animals, there, it, just as soon as you start thinking that there's some kind of rhythm or pattern or reasoning, you, you then realize that actually none of that actually is the case at all. And you get all sorts of different people in all sorts of different situations, choosing to share their lives with pets and dogs and doing an amazing thing. And, you know, that's, that's, it doesn't reflect on their financial circumstances. Or it doesn't necessarily reflect on sexuality, on their gender, on all these different things. And you realize that it's actually very universal that mm. people can just tap into that amazing honor that we have with our with our animals but i don't you know i don't disagree that with, with what you're saying so I, I also this is by the way so james is rocking his son while he's talking to me while doing a podcast which is just Ooh, he's now grabbing me, the uh, wire for me amazing but but do you know what you know thinking about dogs thinking about babies because you're holding your baby mm-hmm. Also called Oliver, slightly, also, slightly also, confusing. <laughs> also called Oliver, yes. <laughs> Baby Oliver is, I think there's something in the incredible bond that is built with both babies and pets that they can't speak. So you have yeah. this non-verbal relationship that is incredibly intimate and different. Mm. I think it builds love. It really does. There's that almost, it's, it's sort of a forced altruistic relationship almost, isn't it? You, you're, you're very much just there for them. And I think there's something about giving love to, I mean, he sounds very verbal right now. I'm going to say that. <laughs> there's, uh, there's something very, I think, self-soothing about giving love to something that you have got no other way of communicating through other than just providing for them. And there's something yeah. sort of very reflective on that as well, I think. One of the themes in the book is actually about mental health mm. and being a vet. And you said something in the book that I really connected with, forgive me if I get this wrong, but it was quite addictive, the kind of um, the frenetic nature of veterinary work. Mm. And perhaps that gave you a little a way to not actually have to think about your other problems, maybe. Yeah. Which I know is why I did the jobs I did in my 20s. And then you sort of go like, oh, I think maybe I'd do this to avoid thinking about other things. But the mental health of vets, I think you say that it's three, a vet is three times more likely to take their own life than a normal person. 
Yeah, three to four times now. They they've the the latest studies show, which is it's a job that I love. It's something I've always wanted to do, and those statistics they're not new either. This isn't something that's come on in the last and in the pandemic or in the last sort of you know what have it. It's 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 sort of been there all the way through my career. Is this sort of statistic that follows us around? And I think talking of mental health and and the work with vets i've spoken quite openly in the in the book about some of the dark times that i've faced and i think from the research and the talking that i did around that trying to i was so keen to get that chapter and that wording right because i think talking about especially suicide there's a real responsibility that we talk about that in a in a way that is constructive and not necessarily too gla- almost or i don't know if glamorizing is the right word but i think that statistic can end up being almost like a bit of a badge. It's a bit like it can it can feel like it's almost inevitable. If you want to become a vet, just be aware that you're going to get mental health problems. And I and I don't think that's I don't think that's healthy. I think actually when I really deeply think about what I was going through at that time, I was already going through some pretty dark thoughts and some and struggling with all sorts of different things. But then going into work and having to have those really deeply emotional and connected conversations with clients, whether that's the whatever sort of medical situation is going on with their pets, whether it's because they can't afford veterinary care, whether it's abuse hurled towards us, you know, that we're sort of money grabbing or things like that, or whether it's something, a cruelty case. So the, the story that I describe is a really upsetting situation that I was in where I was called to a, a horse that had undergone a, a particularly sort of nasty cruelty case. And I thought, why am I sharing that? Because I don't want to sort of just write it for the sake of it or shock for shock tactics. And I thought, well, actually, at the time, that had a real impact on me. Mm. And the impact that it had was that I then started to fall out of love with veterinary. And I think I blamed veterinary for all of my struggles, really. And I think that's something that I really learned, that you know, proportioning blame or fault on something for your own darker times is, is, isn't necessarily always helpful, is it? You know, I think sometimes it's easy to go, oh, it's veterinary that, that caused that. And actually, it wasn't. It wasn't an inevitable consequence of me being mm-hmm. a vet. I think veterinary exacerbated things when I was already maybe struggling a little bit, just because it's such an intense, it's such an intense job, you know? Yeah, you talk about empathy fatigue. It's like a thing, right? Yeah, compassion fatigue. That was it. What is that? So compassion fatigue is something that you see in all sorts of different healthcare professionals where you're it's not that you it's not that you run out of compassion for the animals that you're treating or the job itself, but you're almost you're it's almost like your battery has run dry. So if you if if you had a battery and it was charged instead of electricity, but with empathy for the situation. So that's the sort of, you know, you go to work and you feel what your clients are going through. You feel the emotion that they're feeling. And that there's only so much of that that you can really kind of absorb yourself and mm. you know the thing is we there wasn't certainly when i was at uni there wasn't a huge amount of training around how to kind of put barriers up i think these days we're so much more self-aware about our professional boundaries as well as our own mental health boundaries and, and things like that but at the time you just absorb it all and you sort of feel like the more i absorb of that the better vet i am and so you i, I ended up basically mm. taking on all of this trauma really from from different people and i think my my battery basically ran dry and i was just like i started to question whether veterinary was right for me whether i needed to think about other things that's a part of the book. Of course, you know, that, you know, there are other happy parts in the book as well. Um, well, I haven't, tra- I haven't trauma dumped, hopefully. But it is a big part of what, you know, I, I didn't want to write another fluffy book about another 
fluffy version of what it's like to be a vet because there's plenty of that out there and yeah it's not the situation anymore the the harriet days are a sort of you know unfortunately slightly gone and i think it's really interesting that you say that that stat has been around for a while do you feel like there's been any progress in that respect i suppose is the problem that fundamentally people can understand that a doctor is having a stressful time because people go there when they're ill but maybe I think people think of vets as like, well, half the time it's just a flea jab and a checkup. You know what I mean? Mm. And it feels because puppies are so goddamn cute and all of all those, all animals are so goddamn cute that you're like, do you think that's why that stat's been around for a long time but hasn't changed because it's not really being addressed because people don't get it? I think the public perception of veterinary is one aspect of it. And I think certainly the, if you talk, if you ask anybody, they always think if you're a vet that you're raking it in. You know, there's this mm. there's this perception that it's a really well paid career, and of course, you know, don't get me wrong. I mean, it's not it's not awful, but it's nowhere near what people think it is. And I say that honestly. I'm not saying that looking for you know kind of sympathy or or anything like that. It, but it is it is honestly an employed vet earns far far less than people think they do. So it really is a vocation. You know, you go into it. Nobody falls into veterinary medicine. You go into it because you absolutely love it. But having said that. I can also completely understand how when you then get handed a £3,000 bill for your pet, that feels like an incredibly expensive you know, yeah. thing to go through. And and the truth is that sadly, though, those costs are going to be there if you take on a pet, you know, be- mm. because unless you qualify for charity help, there's no NHS for pets, essentially. And I think that does create a, an immediate sticking point in the consult where people people's expectations of what something might cost can often be a long long way away from what it really is mm. and i think because we're so used to not having to pay for human healthcare, when you then get handed a bill for a few thousand pounds for an mri scan and things like that we, we don't have really that much of an appreciation of how much healthcare actually costs but essentially veterinary is private healthcare for your for your pets yeah and and that i think is something that can sort of immediately cause some friction in the room Mm. but also i think when you think about the type of people that go into veterinary they're often a certain personality type perhaps that that you know very high achievers they don't take criticism well there's often quite a strong kind of moral code within within that personality type that if that sort of pushed to either to one side that can again cause cause some internal sort Mm. of aggravation as well and then of course there's there's the elephant in the room which is the fact that we've got access to the drugs that can we see we see pets being put to sleep all the time and, and how peaceful that is. And I think that potentially has a, a, a part to play as well. But I think the whole thing is very complex. I think mm. it's more than just one thing. And again, that's why I'm so keen not to sort of say, is it because the, the pet owners are, you know, really rude to vets or things like that? And it, it, it's not. I mean, it's such a multifactorial issue, but it is now starting to be much better understood. And there is so much more research going into it. And I think younger vets, you know, vets coming through from universities, they are much more aware of of where those sort of risk points are and those red flags to, to sort of slightly look out for each other, but also for yourself. So yeah, I think progress is definitely there. But again, as I touch upon in the book, I've lost colleagues to suicide as a vet. And that that's something that I kind of think you just you just don't think that that, you know, you go into veterinary and that's something that you're going to be uh, addressing so mm. is there a link between the the drugs that are being used to put animals to sleep and vets and suicide i think yes yeah right right yeah. right, right. god yeah. i didn't know listeners hello this next section of the podcast is brought to you by whatsapp from meta 
as WhatsApp are sponsoring the podcast at the moment, we're talking about how to ensure that everything on our phones stays private. Our fellow LGBTQ plus podcasters and friends of the show, the Gossip Gays, are having some privacy mishaps. So I'm here to help out. Hiya, Chris. How are you doing, love? It's me, Danny Beard here, the host of the Gossip Gays podcast. I do that with my best mate, Billy. And listen, I'll be honest, I've got some privacy issues because Billy keeps looking through my phone. As you know, well, you might not know, but I've been going to events and I've made loads of celeb pals. And I, listen, I don't want to spill too much tea or give you too much goss, but I might have been texting a certain few famous faces and these messages might have been getting a bit saucy. So... I want to know how I can keep these messages from, you know, leaking into the public domain, you know? I think you know. So whatever you can help me out with, some words of wisdom, send me whatever, hum, because I can't have these messages leaking to the paps. No one needs to see my little kidney bean. Lots of love, Danny Beard. Danny, Danny, Danny. Okay. Well, firstly, all I can say is congratulations, because... If you've got multiple people sliding into your WhatsApp messages, I think it's a result from where I am standing. So listeners, I know we all love a gossip. That's basically why this podcast exists, especially those gossip gays. But how do we stop Billy from nosing over Danny's DMs? Well, enter stage left, the brilliant feature from WhatsApp called Privacy Chat Lock. This can add an extra layer of protection to your most personal chats from anyone who has physical access to your device. So, Danny, if you want to lock that chat that you're having with, I don't know, insert glorious celebrity here, you could be doing that and then Billy wouldn't be able to see. So for Danny and Billy, in order to read or send any messages on a phone, you'll need to unlock your chats using device authentication. So that's your personal phone, passcode, face ID or fingerprint. Problem solved. Whether it's a spicy message like Danny's been getting, or something more serious. We all need to understand how to stay on top of our privacy in the digital age. Mm -hmm. The built-in layers of protection on WhatsApp mean that you never have to depend on just one form of defense when it comes to your privacy. On WhatsApp, you can also message privately, so nobody, not even WhatsApp, can read your messages. Privacy lesson over, people. Now, check out, I love these two, the Gossip Gaze podcast, if you haven't already. Go and have a listen. Already, bye for now. Back to normal service resuming now. I'm going to move on to a sunnier topical conversation. Yeah, yeah. Because we're going to reflect the book. You're one of the few people who is brave enough to take an animal, a dog, on live television multiple <laughs> times a week. Is that right? Um, yes. <laughs> how's that? <laughs> how is that? It's a very good question, Chris. So this is on, what's it called? BBC Morning Live. Sorry, what's it called? Morning Live, yeah. BBC Morning Live. It is Live. BBC Morning Live, on, yeah. On BBC One, yeah. So it started off by taking Oliver, the lovely boy we've just been talking about on the in the book, he started coming on TV with me in the early days when I did the children's stuff. So CB, I did a, a show on CBBC and he was featured on that quite a bit. And then we started doing the live stuff, which was started in lockdown, actually. And I can remember they sort of said, would you, would you bring your dog on? And I was like, hey, why not? You know, what's the worst that can happen? Thinking, you know, okay, here we go. It was lovely. Like in Gethin, so Gethin Jones, who's the, the main presenter, it was Kim Marsh and Gethin at the time. And, and he was just like, he sort of, often reflects really kind of affectionately of how everybody's really nervous you know everybody the world was you know in such a strange place mm. and obviously this new series was coming out and then Oliver kind of just walked into the room on set and just pretty much lay down on the rug in between Aww. Tim and Gethin 
and just had this really calming effect on the whole on the whole studio. So so Oliver was great. I never had to worry at all with Oliver. But then we got Dolly, who is our rescue puppy, and we wanted to do that crossover thing, knowing that Oliver was getting a bit older. Uh, and she, yeah, she kind of came in and installed the show. So early doors. Luckily, nothing on light, nothing on air. But you know, we've had the we've had the big brown accidents in the studio, and I'm like, and it's one of those things where you just sort of your heart sinks at the time because you've got all these. You know, people around you, you're just like, I'm so sorry that I've, I've brought the tone right down here with, with my dog shitting in the corner. But, you know, so, so yeah, it's good. And so she comes on now, but she she's, again, made herself at home now. So she jumps straight on the sofa and, and does all that. But the other day we took Dolly, Oliver and Mark. We all had a family outing onto the, onto the show as well. And that, again, I was like, I, I, when I watched the interview back, <laughs> halfway through, he starts to cry, all of a sudden starts crying. And I can see it on my face. My, I, I sort of amid conversation, and I suddenly it dawns on me: what the hell are you doing? Uh, on live TV, <laughs> bringing a baby, a dog, and your husband, who's great, because this has got the potential to go horribly wrong. But thankfully, thankfully, he was he was good. Oh, <laughs> uh, I saw I saw a moment of that, and I thought it was beautiful. And <laughs> and how has it been? Because you take your dog on there, and then you take your son on there. How has it been to be? a pair of visible gay dads what has the reaction been like from the public and all the rest of it um i mean i, th- I think on the whole really positive whether that's because nobody says it to my face or not i've got no idea <laughs> but i've got to be honest we've had when we didn't announce that we were going to have him till till really quite late on and we had him in the uk with a, a, our surrogate rachel who's just phenomenal and he's very happy for me to talk about it as well, just, you know, from a, from mm. a, sort of a consent point of view. Um, yeah, so he he kind of came along and, you know, we had the press picked up on it a little bit and, and what have you. But if you choose to go on and read those comments, there's awful things written. But my own personal experience of on social media, especially Instagram, has just been honestly so positive. And and that's been that's been incredible from a from a from a people that know us. You know, and, and and I include social media with that followers and it's, it's been really, really positive. I think there's been times though; it has been, it has been sort of quite a learning curve in terms of pe- people sort of ask you how you're getting on with it and stuff, and the, and the first thing they ask is how you're getting on with the nights, and and the nights sort of been have been okay, really. I mean, I'm used to doing on calls and things like that, so that hasn't been too much of a problem. But I think it's the little comments that I wasn't expecting that that did throw me into a bit of a it just it just sort of throws you off every time that we were out and someone this this old sort of old boy came up to me and was like, oh you know you're on babysitting duty today or oh, yeah. and somebody else sort of came up and said oh you are you giving mum a break are you good for you sort of thing and i and i and it was it was really weird i find of course their intention wasn't to necessarily be outwardly you know homophobic like that but but it was like it's just those little reminders that you're stepping outside of the norm i guess again which on the one hand is you know i sort of think is is one of the best things about being gay is that you can write your own rule book but that's when i kind of come home and you do overthink it and digest it and think oh my god but yeah yes well it's they're they're funny those moments because ultimately when people say things like that to you they're trying to be nice so they're Mm. trying to create a moment between you and i and i have arrived at a place where if it was literally that sentence said to me and it was someone in a cafe kind of moving past me, I'd just be like, yeah, you know what I mean? Because 
I think it's really hard to be like, stop the bus, it's time for a lesson. You know what yeah. I mean? You know, I listen to a lot of people talking about this kind of stuff. I'm talking about act- activism, I suppose, is what I'm mm. saying. I'm, I'm not saying this is activism. I'm saying I listen to people talking about activism and it's like, you don't have to educate all the time. You can mm. actually do it when you want to. And if you don't fancy it, you haven't broken any rule. Mm. And But, you know, of course, like if someone says to me, like what, lovely Lottie Jeffs and Stu Oakley, who wrote the Amazing. From Gay to Z book, Brilliant came on book. the podcast. And, and I was saying that people came up to me and said, where did you get her about my daughter? Oh, wow. <laughs> and, oh. I, and anyway, they, they cite that as an example in the book. Um, and of course, so you know, you I have her? like... Yeah. Yeah, I have a nice conversation with the person about that in a, in a, you know, in a calm manner. And, and I think that, I don't know, I think it's really not, if you can find a way to gently explain in a nice way, I always do. But sometimes if I'm like, do you know what, I can't be naffed with this. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm no longer going to beat myself up about it, whereas yeah. perhaps I would have in the past. You're sort um, of ready, aren't you? You sort of think, I've got to sort of defend this. To the, to the, and you sort of think, well, actually... You know, but I think it was it was the fact that what I think I was not perhaps expecting was how weighted towards the societal expectation that that fathers don't almost yeah. that, almost that they're just very much second place to to motherhood. And what I loved about Stu Oakley, uh, Stu and Lottie's uh, book, because I was feeling this thing where I was like, I don't understand in me what is it that is making me feel really uncomfortable that we've got this pack of nappies that arrive. And the branding is all kind of approved by mums and it's mum yes. everywhere. It's mum and baby groups all around us. And everyone's asking about the, the mother. And, you know, and I, mm. and I thought, and I, and I sat with it and thought, is, you know, what, what is that? Why do I feel so kind of strange about it? And, and it is that it's so gendered and so kind of skewed. And actually, it wouldn't take much for us to just change little bits to say, you know, parents and baby groups or parent approved, things like that. And actually, the the really key thing is is that you're right. It's 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 perpetuating a stereotype on all women. It perpetuates a stereotype on men, and it and the whole thing is just so. It just feels so outdated now that we still yeah. have this kind of gendered parenting expectation. Um, so it's not about it's not about lesser lessering the, the the motherhood or anything, but it's just about sort of bringing everybody up to a kind of a an equality, isn't it? So. Yeah, and I also I I actually feel like with the nappy thing and stuff like I kind of get my own little tiny you know little sense of wonderful defiance that we're doing it our way you know yeah. when I see that and I'm like and I and I sort of think what a missed opportunity but I also think it does that packaging does work for most it people it does reflect it does reflect a majority doesn't it I suppose it, it reflects a majority and I maybe I don't know like I just think about. I genuinely think about this and I'm not, this is going to sound like I'm making this up, but I'm not. I sort of think about trans people and how that version of that is permeated in every single corner of their oh, thing. Yeah. And I'm like, I think I can take the nappy thing, yeah, you know, definitely. but also it's to do with, you know, and this is why, this is what I love. I'm going to generalize, but this is what <laughs> I love about women. And this is what I love about queer people is they are always doing it all you know, without a, a peep. And, and I think about mothers and I think about 
you know, we're having this conversation while you're also being a parent. You're literally holding and juggling a baby as we're speaking. It's amazing. What an example. And I think find joy in that. I think it's fucking amazing. And the fact that you had, is it Rachel, your surrogate? Yeah, yeah. I have to say her name again. Um, and the fact that you had Rachel help you do it and what a team you three have become is yeah. beautiful. I mean, you know, sitting in the hospital bed afterwards with, with Rachel there and we've kind of all gone through it. And there is this thing around surrogacy where people kind of, you know, there is there is this sort of the slight stigma or there's a little bit of un- misunderstanding around it from people that don't know much about it. We were just there, this little team on our own, the three of us, with Oliver in, 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 actually in Rachel's arms at that point when we took this photograph. And I look at that photograph and just think, God, we did something really special there, all of us. You know, mm. and and it was. Uh, I'm so you know, it is. It does feel so special to 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 have him here. So, James, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank it's you for sad. during parenting. Um, everybody, go get James's book. Lovely picture of James holding a chicken on the front, which I can imagine <laughs> was wasn't simple. No, there were some sheep involved with that picture as well, but they've been airbrushed out. <laughs> <laughs> they were in the background taking a shit or something. What a lovely man. Go get his book if you can. It's called For the Love of Animals by James Greenwood. It's available on the internet. Get it from a local independent bookstore, though. Go on. Um, in the meantime, get in touch at Homo Sapiens on Instagram, at Homo Sapiens Podcast on Facebook. Email your comments, your questions, your agony uncles to hello at Homo Sapiens Podcast.com. Thanks for being delightful. I hope you've had a nice listen. I hope you've had a nice day. The sun has just peaked round a cloud as I'm talking to you. So I'm going to go and uh, have a little trot through it. I'm going to walk the dog. That's what I'm going to do. All right, everybody. Lots of love. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Powered by Spirit Studios.